This was brought to you by The Storyteller on YouTube and Facebook. Fifteen. In the days which followed, I made several more visits both to the main camp and to Uncle Vanter's, collecting more items. The old dog began to follow me back to my place every time, but I didn't encourage it, and after about half a kilometer it always gave up. At one time, there had also been three nanny goats tied up at the edge of the main camp, but by now there was no sign, and I wasn't sure if they had been taken by the Germans for their milk or meat or whether they had simply escaped and were now wandering somewhere in the forest. Once again, I would have loved to have had a goat as company and milk, but it was impractical and dangerous. The fate of my family was always on my mind because although I knew what had happened to some of the young women and girls and suspected I knew the fate of Uncle Vanta, I had no idea what had happened to the rest of the people, even though I was sure they were all murdered. So, one morning when I awoke early, I headed north towards the lake expecting to find some clue there. There is quite a wide track through the forest which goes in that direction, and was the one taken by the German lorries days before. I was very cautious about using it in case there were still any Germans about, but the only sounds I heard were the normal ones of the forest. The track emerged from the wood at the top of a hill which overlooked the lake. It was a track which all gypsy people had used over many years, and one of the first things I saw was our vermi of a bit of cloth tied to a twig. It gave me no hope because I knew it was an old one, there to tell other gypsies that we were in those woods. But almost alongside it I could see, at the edge of the trees on the very top of the bank above the lake, a large long mound of brown earth. It took no imagination to realize why it was there or who it contained, and I did not have either the heart or the courage to dig down to confirm what I was sure was there. Instead, I looked around down towards the lake, but could see no one. I wanted to leave a vermi of my own on the mound so I made my way cautiously down the slope to the edge of the lake and round to where the stream went into it. The lake has steep sides and the water quickly gets deep, but there is a shoreline at the top. At the stream, I selected two white and two dark stones, because that is the way some of my people show that gypsies are present. White depicts females and dark stones males, and large and small show adults and children. I took the stones to the mound and carefully pushed them just into the top so that anyone passing near the old vermi would spot them and realize that there was a connection that there were both males and females, but the oddness of just two stones of each would make them question what I was about, though no one could have guessed the horror of what that connection was. Some groups of families always used the same vermi so it was possible to identify which family had passed by from the little detail of the vermi, like a scuff on the bark of a tree or wavy lines left on a stone. Mine would give no such clues. By the time about three weeks had passed since the massacre, I had begun to be quite proud of my little home which I had constructed and improved. It was of an ideal size for one person so that I could lie across the back of it to sleep in a nice bed of dry grass and leaves, 
but at the front I put an old box for a seat, and made a fireplace outside the entrance, and a porch to keep the rain off. Of course, I knew that I could not possibly have a fire in daylight, because smoke might have been seen and betrayed me. In any case, I had little need for a fire except for warmth, because most of my food was what I gathered raw from the forest. My only other food was bits that I had managed to recover from the main camping ground, most of it tins, and an occasional wrap of tea. Every day when the weather was reasonable I used to go out to what I called gleaning to find food. I saw, too, that I was beginning to make a track from the edge of the cart tracks to the hole where I went into my own little terrain. So, I put a pile of small dead branches and twigs to one side of the path, and each time I came back from somewhere I scattered some so as to disguise the path. Similarly, because I entered the forest at the far side to go to the main camp, there were obvious traces of human passages so once again I put twigs and branches over my entry point to hide it. That was much easier because there was no reason why anyone would go into the forest there if they did not know that there was a track. Already the caravans at our old the camp were beginning to look abandoned and unkempt and grass was beginning to grow over the debris of the camp. I had pretty well taken anything of use from there by now. But there were still quite a few medicines at Uncle Vanta's place which I had left because I did not then discern I would need them. Whenever I cut a branch from a tree to use for some purpose, I was always very careful to rub dirt onto the newly visible stem of the tree so that no one could tell that it had been cut recently. One day, I went on a gleaning trip towards the mass grave and the lake. Just as I emerged from the track, I saw a figure skirting the edge of the lake, being already two-thirds of the way round, and having passed the stream with the special stones. I slunk back into the bushes to see what the figure was going to do. I could not tell if it was a man or a woman, but he or she was wearing a dark jacket, and what looked like a scruffy short brown tunic over a pair of grey trousers. As I watched, the figure gained the bottom of the hill, and glanced up towards the track. I sank further into the undergrowth, and watched as the figure climbed the hill, and reached the beginning of the track. I still could not tell whether it was man or woman, but he or she studied the old vermi, and then looked at the vermi made from the stones, and for a moment I wondered if it could possibly be another gypsy, but I knew that to be impossible, because my extended family were the only ones in this area, and I knew, too, that they were no longer here. Then the person began to whisper sing an old Romany tune, where are you? And my hope leapt, but I was still not sure if it could be a trap or one set by the Germans to find me. That sounds paranoid, but if you'd been living as I had, hidden from murderers, then I think you'd be paranoid, too. I moved silently as only a fox, round the person, grabbed them round their waist, and held my knife to their throat. Who are you? Speak or die. This was brought to you by The Storyteller on YouTube and Facebook. Listen to our podcast on any of these platforms. Anchor. Breaker. Overcast. Pocket Casts. Radio Public. Spotify. Support us on Patreon. And check us out on Discord. All the links can be found in the video description below. 
We thank you for your participation. If you enjoyed please like, subscribe, share, make comments. We love feedback.